0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Macro Markets with Guggenheim Investments, where we invite leaders from our investment team to offer their analysis of the investment landscape and the economic outlook. I'm Jay Diamond, head of thought leadership for Guggenheim Investments, and I'll be hosting today. We are recording this episode on May 23rd, 2023. Now we head into Memorial Day weekend with markets bouncing around and still facing many uncertainties. Topical concerns include the lagged impact of the Federal Reserve's aggressive rate hikes and quantitative tightening, the debt limit turmoil in Washington, the timing and depth of a potential economic slowdown, and the likely consequences of further financial disintermediation. Now, from a fixed income portfolio perspective, however, the future looks relatively bright. Most credit sectors have performed well year to date. Fixed income returns are enjoying a good start in 2023 after a challenging 2022, and yields and spreads remain attractive despite the market rebound. Now joining us today to share his insights is Alan Lee, a managing director and head of our municipal sector team. In his role, Alan oversees the group responsible for tax exempt and taxable munis, an important sector in many of our portfolios. But before we get to Alan, Let's get a quick update on the macroeconomic backdrop from our U.S. economist,
1: Matt Bush. Matt, the floor is yours. Thanks, Jay. The economic data in the U.S. continues to show a tension between weak survey data and leading indicators that point to imminent recession, while actual hard data being reported is increasingly coming in better than expected. So the expected economic slowdown continues to be elusive. To recap some of the recent leading and survey data, April saw the 13th consecutive monthly decline in the leading economic index, which is now down 8% from a year ago. An 8% decline is typically what we see six months into a recession. So based on these leading indicators, you would expect the economy to be a lot weaker than it currently is. Another concerning data point was consumer sentiment that fell further in early May, with new highs in the share of consumers expecting unemployment to go up which historically has been a pretty good predictor of actual changes. And we also got an update of the Dallas Fed's Banking Conditions Survey. This survey only covers Texas, but is higher frequency than the Fed's Senior Loan Officer Survey that is more widely followed. And the Dallas Fed survey showed that in the first half of May, banks tightened loan standards further, which would point to a deeper pullback in loan growth and by extension economic activity. But amid all these concerning leading signals, recent data on economic activity has held up better than expected, especially in the housing and manufacturing sectors. On the housing front, we saw a small increase in housing starts in April, and we got a pretty big increase in the survey of home builders from the NAHB, who increasingly see a better outlook for sales. We also saw industrial production surprise to the upside in April, led by a 14% jump at auto production. Auto production and sales have been depressed for the past few years by semiconductor-induced supply shortages, so there is some pent-up demand for autos, even amid higher interest rates in a weaker economy elsewhere. So the fact that we could see housing and manufacturing stabilize or even rebound has led to more speculation about avoiding a recession. And while that idea does have some merit, we also have to consider the continued impact of monetary and fiscal policy developments. In April, the CPI report showed core inflation still running at a 5% annualized pace. And if growth surprises to the upside, the Fed is going to have to push back against that, as they told us repeatedly that they see a weaker economy as a precondition for getting inflation sustainably back to target. And then on top of continued restrictive monetary policy, we have fiscal policy that is going to turn more restrictive. Student loan payments resume in a few months after being paused since 2020, which estimates show could be a drag of around 20 basis points to real GDP. And then, of course, we have the outcome of debt ceiling negotiations, which is going to result in some form of government spending cuts. So there are a lot of cross-currents in the data and policy outlook, but our read continues to be we are headed for a moderate recession starting later this year. Back over to you, Jay.
0: Thanks, Matt. Now, Alan Lee, thanks again for joining us today. Great, Jay, thank you for having me on. Happy to be here. To start us off, can you give us a quick primer on the municipal bond market? How big is it? What are the different kinds of issues and issuers in the market and who are the primary buyers and investors in municipals?
2: Sure. So, the municipal bond market has about $4 trillion of um, power outstanding. It trades approximately between 13 to $14 billion per day of trading volume. And it comprises both of tax exempt bonds and taxable bonds. Tax exempt bonds are bonds uh, where the interest income. Is usually exempt from federal and state and local taxes. And that, those are about eighty percent of the municipal market, and twenty percent. Meaning twenty percent are taxable bonds, where just just like a investment grade corporate, where the coupon is taxable at either the state and or the uh, federal level. About two thirds of the market are controlled by retail investors. Um, retail investors own about forty percent of the bonds directly and the remaining 26% or so are held in retail mutual funds. The balance of the $4 trillion market are owned by insurance companies, uh, so both life and property and casualty companies, banks, some ETFs, and some foreign uh, investors as well. The, in terms of um, sector breakdown, uh, municipal obligors run a gamut from school districts to higher education institutions to your normal state and local uh, governments. Um, so there's a lot of variety in terms of both um, issue of quality and a security structure uh, that can be found in the municipal bond market where are not just a revenue bond versus job obligation bond market where there's you know certificates of participation, there's redevelopment bonds, there's sales tax bonds. There's healthcare, there's higher ed. So it's it's a very wide variety of credit structures
0: and legal structures that will fulfill a diversified investors' portfolio. When you are looking at your sector, how do you assess the differences in relative value among all of these different security and issuer types that you you watch?
2: Sure, uh, Jay. I think the first thing we look at is credit fundamentals. So... Your traditional income statement balance sheet cash flow analysis followed by uh, uh demographic analysis um, seeing looking at net migration patterns looking at the concentration of the taxpayer base the concentration of the employer base etc and follow that by the we uh, by examining uh, legal structure of these deals um despite um reputation to contrary as simply being Uh, Revenue versus geo bond market. Uh, There is a lot of divergence in terms of uh, secure structures in the municipal market. We we run a gamut from unsecured appropriated bonds to secure bonds, mortgage attached. So those two factors can be uh, very uh, differentiating from credit to credit.
0: Most of us are familiar with how, in general, to assess creditworthiness of a corporate bond issuer, but Municipal issuers, they don't file financial statements in the same way, and, and the drivers of credit worthiness aren't the same. So how do you assess fundamentals of a municipal issuer? And related to that, what value do you give to credit ratings in this process? Jay, I think you uh, kind of touched on a good point in
2: that even though we go through a somewhat similar credit analysis as our sectors do. Our disclosure practices on the community side are really not as, I would say, stringent and timely as uh, you might find on the corporate side. So I would I would note uh, as a caveat that you know not everything that can be measured is important in credit analysis. So even though uh, some of the more usual financial statements might be you know more delayed than in other sectors, uh, there are other credit factors that are not necessarily measurable, but much more timely. Item number one that I can think of is political changes. Um, Munis, more than any other asset class, are impacted by political decisions, uh, particularly at a local level. Voters are called on to pass new tax regimes or to change existing tax regimes all the time. Voters are called on to change governorships or changes uh, the composition of legislatures at the state level every two, every three, every four years. So those political changes, uh, whether it's tailwind or headwind can have a much bigger impact on the quality of a municipal credit than other factors that are probably, you know, not actually reported on a regular basis, but probably less meaningful, I think. Uh, so that's one thing um, on your, Question regarding credit ratings, I know a lot of municipal bond investors will usually say that, well, we don't get credit ratings. We have our own credit ratings internally. But I think the reality is published credit ratings from the likes of Moody's, SP, Fitch, Kroll are meaningful because that is usually the first step to determine the pricing of a new issue deal. When the underwriter comes to market with a new deal, let's say from Los Angeles Unified School District. They're trying, which is rated AA2. They're going to look at where other AA2 deals have priced recently. So ratings do matter, especially when it comes to relative value. Now we can have our own internal ratings. We can say, well, LA Unified is overrated or underrated at AA2, but still pay attention to what the public rating agencies say because they they can impact pricing. Obviously the most interesting opportunities in terms of relative value comes from when we have a different opinion versus the rating agencies and versus the rest of the market. If we think, you know, say USD should be a triple A deal and should be triple A rated, where while it's coming as a double A deal, maybe that's 30 or 40 basis points of incremental spread time that we expect to happen over the next two, three, four years that the market has not in yet. So that that could be an opportunity for us. The reverse is also the same, where if a deal is maybe pricing as a single A, but we think it's a double B or even a single B credit, then you know that's a that's a good uh, deal to pass on. But to going back to your original question, you know credit ratings do matter. We don't really have to agree with it, but we have to pay attention to it.
0: Now, before we dive into what you're seeing now in the market, talk to me about one other thing, which is how important market technicals are to municipal performance. I know you talk a lot about fund flows, the principal and interest flows primary and secondary supply. How important are market technicals to municipal performance?
2: Jay, I would say those are very important factors in the municipal market. I would say in 12 months of a year, in 11 of them, market valuations will be driven by technical factors, and then the remaining month will be driven by credit factors. Now, obviously, credit can have an outsized impact uh, on the market, but uh, if you pick a random trading day in, in a given month or a year, chances are valuations are being set by Factors like principal interest redemptions, new issue supply, secondary BWIC volumes, et cetera.
0: Talk to us about what you're seeing now in the market and let's start with exactly that. How are market technicals looking to you right now?
2: Market technicals says that we should be bullish. If we look at the amount of um, part of being put out for BitWanets or the new issue calendar, which is down 20% year over year, or the upcoming uh, massive influx of cash from principal and interest coupon payments, which will total about 230 billion dollars for the next uh, three to three and a half months, basically through the end of summer. Everything says we should be rallying in here, but we're not. I think you know there's a little bit of overhang from the FDIC trying to auction off the municipal bonds that they t- that received when uh, Silicon Valley Bank failed. Uh, there's also uh, some chatter in the market about other money center banks, such as JP Morgan and Wells Fargo, also possibly putting out tax on bonds for auction. So even though most standard measures of market technicals show that we should be entering a bullish phase, I think a lot of municipal buyers are on the sidelines, very hesitant to put the first dollar in at these levels, given the overhangs from potential bank sellers. Um, which spells opportunity for me. Um, I think that you know when most people are hesitating, market valuations will start reflecting that tendency. And usually, when everyone else is going one direction, going the other way, assuming that there's no major adverse developments on the current front, going the other way can be very, I'll say, lucrative when market technicals finally line up the market performance.
0: So let's talk about credit fundamentals, We're we're coming off a period where there was a significant amount of fiscal support to consumers and households, as well as to uh, governments, but we're also heading into a possible economic slowdown. So what are you seeing in uh, fundamentals right now for municipals? And I know it's hard to generalize with such a big market, but in general, what are you seeing? Sure, uh, I agree. It
2: can be hard to be uh, to, to create generalizations about credit. But I think, you know, there are, I, I can use some specific examples at the state level to help listeners get a good feel for the current credit environment. The credit cycle in municipal feels like it's starting to roll over. You know, like you said, we had massive federal stimulus the last couple of years. We also had a massive collection, both at the state and local level in terms of personal tax receipts, corporate, tax receipts, and sales tax receipts. So we had it basically double tailwinds for the last 18, 24 months in terms of municipal credit. That's how it's starting to change. You see some of the higher beta states or states with higher beta economies and higher beta tax streams, such as California, Illinois, New Jersey, Massachusetts, uh, starting to report big year-over-year declines in uh, personal income tax tax streams. Uh, the, the one thing that these states have in common, among others, is that they are pretty dependent on capital gains tax collections, and obviously, most risk assets had a down year in 2022. So, in that combined with a really record year in tax receipts in fiscal 2022, which ended in June 2022, um, makes uh, April a very hard uh, month to come against for most these states in terms of tax collections. So, we're seeing... Tax receipts fall anywhere between 25 to 30 percent. Amount of states that I mentioned, and that's starting to cause some concern in the market. Another issue for concern is uh, commercial real estate. You know, I think the press has started to try to get ahead of the next bust, and they've identified CRE as the epicenter. And by extension, they've started to discuss how the potential impact uh, on municipalities that are very dependent on office buildings that are declining in market value. Implication being that if market valuations decline for commercial real estate, by extension means property tax receipts will also uh, decline for the cities that depend on on commercial real estate. So there's some credit cracks are starting to show in the market. I will say, you know, as a rebuttal that after two years of very healthy tax receipts, most state and local governments uh, have at least a year and a half's worth of surplus, if not two, versus what the projected budget deficits will look like. If you take a big economy like California, you know, the headline budget deficit number is $31 billion, but they have billions more in their rainy day fund. And they ha- have a lot of one-time fixes that can be enacted in the current budget cycle in fiscal 2024, possibly into fiscal 2025. And if you go back to a great financial crisis, coming out of it, California issued Uh, revenue anticipation notes, basically a script in order to a fund, bridge itself um, in between uh, months where tax receipts were low. That's how low the state was on cash. This year, we're not even talking about that at the state level. possibly we won't even need that next year as well. So I think the budgetary picture is still pretty solid, even though credit fundamentals are starting to show some cracks. I think we'll be fine for the next 12, 18 months. After that, uh, once, reserves have been somewhat used up and if, you know, if we're in the middle of recession where tax receipts are still depressed, then we'll have, you know, reassess where various states and governments sit in terms of their budget stability. But as of the current cycle and going to the next budget cycle, I think most municipal issuers will be fine. Okay.
0: That's great background on what you're seeing. but. You know how is all of this translating into value? You know What are you seeing in, in terms of yields and spreads available in the market? What are you buying and what are you avoiding based on what you are seen? Fair question, Jay. What is cheap and what should we buy?
2: I think given what we you know, just discuss over, over the last few minutes, I think you buy when there's hesitancy on the technical side, but with no major uh, landmines on the uh, And I think the, the sector that the uh, combines those two attributes right now, or the structure that combines those two attributes right now, are the low coupon tag them uh, bonds that are rated AAA or AA in between fifteen to twenty five years of maturity, and I would say with at least seven years of call protection. Those bonds, on the technical side, have a big in that that structure, the one percent, uh, the one handle uh, coupon to three handle coupon. That's all in the 15, 25-year portion of the tax exempt curve. That structure is a structure where a lot of bank sellers are focused on or targeting. So we see a lot of wigs with you know, those top bonds every day in the market. So everyone, mm-hmm. most everyone is staying away from them. One reason is tax implications. Those structures have such deep discounts to par. They're usually trading in the, the high 60s, low 70s cents on dollar uh, in the current environment, but they have such big discounts to par that people are worried that if the bonds, you know, if the bonds are helping held to maturity, they'll to pay ordinary income taxes on the gains of the receipt once the bonds get, uh, get sold or paid off near par. Um, those, you know, that 30, 25, 30, uh, or 30 points of discount uh, discounted par could be you know, taxed at much higher rates at the ordinary income tax rate uh, than people would be used to, you know, paying on tax exempt bonds. The thing is, and that's caused, that's caused some valuation discrepancies in that portion of the market. But I think what people need to realize is that you only pay that ordinary income tax on the accretion to par if you are selling the bonds close to the maturity or if you're holding the bonds to maturity. If you sell the bonds to say a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, and let's say you sell them at par for whatever reason, the vast majority of gains that you have are going to be taxed at long-term capital gains rates, not at ordinary income tax rates. So people should not over penalize these kind of structures. For bonds that are maturing in fifteen to twenty-five years, I don't. I can't predict the economy, but I can tell you at least there will be at least one more economic cycle, one more interest rate cycle, one more market dislocation that will cause the buyers of these bonds to have the opportunity to exit at a gain. Whether the gain is five points or the full 30 points to par, I don't know. But what I do know today is that you're buying these double and triple A municipal credits, they are tax exempt on the coupon, and you're buying them 25, 30 points below par with essentially no credit risk. Triple A Muni, the 10-year Default rate post issuance is zero percent. You know this is based on Moody's data from 1970 to 2021. So 41 years of data. This is the most recent data we have. It's 41 years of data. Default rate is basically zero. So you you can clip that low coupon. It is low, but I will bet that in two or three years time, you can get you can exit those positions at a gain without paying an honors tax rate at the ordinary income level. I think that is the one sector or one area within the municipal sector that is pretty attractive to us. We're avoiding mostly bonds that have no call protection or very short call protection. I think that retail investors on the mini side tend to cluster around 10 years and then because most folks are afraid of interest rate duration, which is understandable. The longer you go out, the more unknowns could occur to you. But the thing is, munis with a short call kind of leaves you hanging if, if interest rates rally again or if the issuer decides simply to call out the bonds for whatever reason. Like the par call means that the issuer, not the investor, has the option to uh, call the bonds at par. So you might be buying these short call bonds at pre-street levels. However, your income stream won't last for as long as you, you might hope. So I think the short call munis uh, are... Probably the one area that I would stay with, like if I were deploying to mine today, I obviously want to lock in these yields because obviously we have a big, pretty big shift in the yield curve for the last uh, 12 to 14 months. So I would want to be locking in these yields today if I were investing at all. And if I were, if that's the case, then having a bond that's callable in in 12 months or 16 months or 18 months is not going to help my performance. So that's, that's right. why I'll be avoiding.
0: So you mentioned uh, if you had money to put to work today, where you would be buying, and what kinds of yields would you be receiving uh, based on market conditions today? And how does that stack up against uh, corporate or or taxable yields? Sure. So that segment I mentioned before, the 15 to
2: 25-year maturity bonds with a very low one to three handle coupons, uh, those, those bonds are yielding anywhere between four and a quarter to four. 50 to 460 on tax exam basis. Now, some people will argue that, well, that's not taking into consideration the fact that you might have to pay owner income taxes. Once again, like I said, that's only a factor or consideration if you're really truly gonna hold 15 to 25 year bonds to maturity. If you think it's unlikely to happen, you really should look at the tax exempt because that's most likely what you'll realize. Um, so those those tax exempt yields are pretty attractive if I assume a tax rate of 21%, like most of our institutional holders' uh, accounts would, would pay, pay, the you know, taxable equivalent yield on those bonds are north of 5%, uh, as, near as high as uh, 5 and a quarter percent. Um, I will say that's pretty attractive versus IG corporates for double A uh, and triple A IG corporates uh, to get to 550. You might have to or to find to get 50 or 5 and a quarter yields. You might have to go out up to uh, 30 years um, and on some deals. So this is very attractive in my opinion versus our sectors, uh, especially in longer duration sectors.
0: Now, Alan, what are some of the kind of risk factors that uh, you're keeping an eye on right now in the market? One thing I want to watch out for is if uh, the municipal market
2: really starts pricing in commercial real estate risk. You know That has not happened so far. Uh, even A large urban uh, centers like San Francisco and New York, New Jersey, uh, Austin, Dallas, you know, cities that have known vacancy issues on commercial real estate side have not seen uh, much uh, impact in terms of credit spreads. If the market swings the other way and start really baking in potential loss of tax revenues at those cities, I think there'll be a pretty big adjustment in spreads because all the cities on metropolitan areas I just mentioned, they all trade like the AAA and A AA credits that are currently rated. If that changes, there's a much further downside to go from double to single A or from AAA to single A.
0: Great. Alan, thank you so much. Uh, before I let you go, is there is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners?
2: I just want to say that I'm thankful for all listeners that listen to us uh, on a regular basis and tune to us on a regular basis. I think people realize that fixed income, does that mean fixed risk? and we hope to be as helpful as we can be in helping people navigating the market.
0: That's great. Well, once again, Alan, thank you for your time. I hope you'll come back again uh, and visit with us soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Jay. My thanks once again to Matt Bush and to Alan Lee for joining us today. And thanks to all of you who have joined us for our podcast. If you like what you are hearing, please rate us five stars. And if you have any questions for Alan, Matt, or any of our other podcast guests, please send them to macromarkets at guggenheiminvestments.com and we will do our best to answer them on a future episode or offline. I'm Jay Diamond and we look forward to gathering again for the next episode of Macro Markets with Guggenheim Investments. In the meantime, for more of our thought leadership, visit guggenheiminvestments.com slash perspectives. So long.
3: Important Notices and Disclosures Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. Stock markets can be volatile. Investments in securities of small and medium capitalization companies may involve greater risk of loss and more abrupt fluctuations in market price than investments in larger companies. The market value of fixed income securities will change in response to interest rate changes and market conditions, among other things. Investments in fixed income instruments are subject to the possibility that interest rates could rise, causing their value to decline. High-yield securities present more liquidity and credit risk than investment-grade bonds and may be subject to greater volatility. Investors in asset-backed securities or ABS, including mortgage-backed securities or MBS and collateralized loan obligations or CLOs generally receive payments that are part interest and part return of principal. These payments may vary based on the rate loans are repaid Some asset-backed securities may have structures that make their reaction to interest rates and other factors difficult to predict, making their prices volatile, and are subject to liquidity and valuation risk. CLOs bear similar risk to investing in loans directly, such as credit, interest rate, counterparty, prepayment, liquidity and valuation risks. Loans are often below investment grade, may be unrated, and typically offer a fixed or floating interest rate. This podcast is distributed or presented for informational or educational purposes only and should not be considered a recommendation of any particular security, strategy or investment product, or as investing advice of any kind. This material is not provided in a fiduciary capacity, may not be relied upon for or in connection with the making of investment decisions, and does not constitute a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. The content contained herein is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal or tax advice and or a legal opinion. Always consult a financial, tax and or legal professional regarding your specific situation. This podcast contains opinions of the author or speaker, but not necessarily those of Guggenheim Partners or its subsidiaries. The opinions contained herein are subject to change without notice. Forward-looking statements, estimates and certain information contained herein are based upon proprietary and non-proprietary research and other sources. Information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable but are not assured as to accuracy. No part of this material may be reproduced or referred to in any form without express written permission of Guggenheim Partners LLC. There is neither representation nor warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for Decisions based on such information. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Guggenheim Investments represents the investment management businesses of Guggenheim Partners, LLC. Securities are distributed by Guggenheim Funds Distributors, LLC.